Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Inside Curling. Good God, my head is big. I better, mo- I better move it back. I thought you had a big head, Warren and Kevin. I thought you guys had bigger heads than I did. Not as big as yours, Jim. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or shiny. <laughs> Look at my ah, ah, ah. It's terrible. Welcome, everybody, to, to Fat Jim and uh, another episode of Inside Curling. We do it each and every week, of course, uh, with our two World Curling Hall of Famers, the one and only Warren Hansen, and, of course, the GOAT. Kevin Martin. Do you like that handle, Kev? Greatest of all time? I hope you do. It doesn't matter, Jim. You don't worry about that, right? That's up to other people to say. <laughs> Good point. Thanks to you for listening, and thanks to all our sponsors. Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag. Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics. And Goldline, who brings you In the House. And one of our new sponsors, Hearing Life, who sponsors What Are You Hearing? Here's what's on the show today. The newly crowned World Mixed Doubles Champions from the U.S., Corey Tisi and Corey Dropkin. The two Corys, wow. Uh, so we're going to talk to them. Got an email from Pat who talks about three-hour games. Not this again. Uh-oh. Uh, people are getting pissed. <laughs> I can't say it any other way. Uh, and they're starting to find ways not to watch an entire broadcast. We're going to talk about that and commercials and sponsorship and all sorts of other stuff. What's happening around the curling world? Of course, the World Mixed Doubles Championships concluded in Korea. Kevin, you were there uh, working with World Curling TV, and uh, you're going to review everything that happened. Are you back home now, Kev, or are you still there? Yeah, no, I got home, and uh, I'm, I just had a nappy time. and <laughs> that's, uh, Yeah, your body goes through contortions <laughs> coming back from, from Korea, but we're all good. We're at home, yes. Don't be such a wimp. Don't let a little 18-hour flight, okay, get in your way that you need to have naps now, okay? Uh, taking place at the same time in Korea was the World Seniors Championship, and uh, we're going to review the final. I know a couple of girls on the women's team that I think it's the third time they've won. Uh, and this week in Regina, the final Grand Slam of the year, the Coyote Tractor Champions Cup is being played, and we're going to review the teams, of course, who are there. Hot Rock Topics, a lot of comments again this week about how quick mixed doubles is and how much the viewers love it. Yes, we need the 8 end game for sure, but should we also be looking at further changes to the timing of the four-person game? Makes you think. What are you hearing? We learned last week uh, about the passing of another significant person from the curling world, and we're going to tell you all about that. It's time for In the House. Brought to you by Goldline. Goldline Curling's new impact broom. Maximizes performance for carry, hold, and carve. Learn more at goldlinecurling.com. There's one knock. There's one over there. What the hell's going on here? We got... It's the two Corys. Congratulations on winning the mixed doubles. How are you guys? Uh, where, where Are you there? Come on in. Come on in. How you doing, Dropkin? Thanks for dropping in, Dropkin. Thank you very much for having us. I appreciate it. It's been a whirlwind of a, of a couple of days. So I'm um, just trying to get some rest and get back to work and appreciate you guys having us on. How did you pull it off? It's a great question. I'm trying to figure that one out myself. We were able to string together some really good curling and, uh, and pull out some big wins. So pretty, uh, pretty happy. Who makes the big decisions? Girl, Corey. <laughs> I think we both have a pretty big part in it. 
And I think part of it also is, is who's shooting, um, you know, who's in the, in the hack throwing the rock. Um, you know, you want to make sure you're comfortable with the shot that you're choosing and, and buying into it. Everyone loves mixed doubles. We talk about it all the time in the show. We get, we get a lot of input about it. Kevin and Warren both have said it's fantastic. Do you guys see down the road that you would end up concentrating more on mixed doubles or back to four-man curling? How do you see the balance with it going forward? Yeah, for sure. Like for this Olympic cycle, I mean, we both have our men's and women's teams that we're equally as dedicated to. And, um, you know, at the beginning of the season, we just kind of put together our schedule for men's and women's and fit in mixed doubles where we can. Um, Corey and I are lucky to be able to practice together and live in the same town. So I really think that playing both kind of helps each other as well. You know, like Playing men's and women's is going to help our mixed doubles game because we're still getting rocks and getting reps in in some of those bigger games. And for this cycle, for sure, we're both pretty equally committed to doubles and men's and women's. Um, I do think that mixed doubles is kind of moving in a direction in the States for sure, where I think we'll start to see teams that specialize specifically in mixed doubles. Thanks so much for taking the time. And I, I, I can't imagine even how tired you are, but how does it feel? World champions. Oh, my goodness. I just don't think it's totally sunk in quite yet, but yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, it's obviously great to be home and we had a nice like welcome home party for us right when we got into town and running on little sleep right now, but it's still, it's just, it's just an incredible feeling and we're just so happy to be able to bring it home for the U.S. And uh, yeah, it was just an incredible week. We're so proud. What a performance you guys had. Oh, man. Um, I, I didn't get to watch. Unfortunately, I didn't get to watch the final. Uh, Warren can ask you about the final. I, I watched the entire week. I had to fly out, unfortunately, but it was so impressive. Um, the percentages you both were shooting off the charts. Um, I guess I just got to ask you, how did that work? It, it was really impressive. Well, thank you. It's a long week. A lot of our comfortability there was was due to, honestly, our, our coaches, Phil and Kathy and, and even Mike, just having the three of them there. Um, you know, they've been in that situation before. They, they know sort of how to keep us loose. Most time before the games, we kind of just spent time like just chuckling, making jokes and uh, enjoying ourselves, trying to be light out there uh, before the big games. So uh, they did a really good job sort of keeping us feeling comfortable and, and uh, light, um, you know, going onto the ice. And I think that had a pretty big impact with our performance all week. In the semifinals against Canada, uh, you threw an intern run back that we showed a whole bunch of times on replay. You threw it 100 mile an hour. I believe it was a run back, double or some crazy shot. But you raced down the sheet enough to sweep your rock. But then on the way through the house, it was like a blur through the house. You stop a rock coming off the boards and then actually got yourself in position to sweep the, the I don't know, the third or fourth impacted stone out the back of the house like it was amazing the question is to be able to do that is it a lot of practice to be able to throw it so hard but you're up and you're probably on the rock within well Corey would know better than me but up within maybe 10 or 15 feet you're already sweeping that six second hit um how much work would you have to do to to be able to do that because i watched a lot of the other athletes and they'll catch it, but it's usually half the way down the sheet or maybe even two-thirds before they catch their stone. To be able to catch it up quick, I'm just wondering, mechanically and technically, how is it possible? It's crazy. Actually, I think you do see like a, a good, a decent chunk of, of the athletes um, you know, getting up after they're throwing the rock and sweeping their own rock. Um, you know, especially with the peels, it's not nearly as easy. And 
you know, we spent the week kind of figuring out which which peels do I want to chase and try to sweep and, and which ones just to, um, you know, let Corey sweep. It's not easy. He's certainly uh, a lot of athleticism involved and, and you know, that gym time certainly paying off. Um, but, you know, I think the, the big thing, you know, right after releasing it is just also trying to rush your release either because you don't want to impact your, you know, your throw and, and not, not have a good one out of hand. Um, but just trying to get up and, and uh, get caught up so I can try to try to sweep it if it needs it. I don't know if I was really doing anything when it came down to it. That, prob- that rock was probably going out of the house no matter what. Um, you can kind of see me like leaning over trying to just scrub in front of the ice or in front of the rock. It's crazy. It's, and that's part of the fun, I think, of that mixed doubles brings. And it sort of involves all aspects of the game. Uh, Corey, uh, other Corey, <laughs> you brought uh, uh, Mike with you. Now, Mike's your physio and um, some sort of a doctor. How much work would he have to do with you two um, uh, during an event that takes this many days and that many games and, and you're all over the world? I guess the importance of having your medical staff with. Yeah, USA Curling has a really great um, partnership with the Training House, which is based out of Minneapolis which is where Mike works out of. And so he's doing workout sessions with most of the athletes that live down in Minneapolis. So that's been like a huge part of our national program is just getting someone in the gym that's able to run workouts for people. And he does remote workouts for people that don't live in Minneapolis. And then, yeah, he's been coming to all of our events, which has been really great to have. Um, He definitely did a bit more work on boy Corey than me because of all the sleeping that he does. But um yeah, I mean, he's definitely stretching us before every game and icing Corey's shoulders after games. And um, he's just been a huge asset to have on our staff. So it's great to have him. Thanks for joining us, both you guys. And congratulations on uh, that's a huge win. I, th- I think in looking back in men's, women's and mixed doubles, that's the first gold medal for the USA since 2003 with uh, Debbie McCormick. So that's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations again. Uh, Corey T, let me ask you a question. I'm going back to that final game with Japan, and I look at uh, one shot, in my opinion, was the key, and I believe it was the fourth end. Um, The Japanese team came, and they got a little bit of an inside roll behind uh, your rock at the top of the forefoot that I didn't think there was an inside roll there. And then you look at it, I'm going like, I don't know if that shot's possible because you have to clear that front guard barely, then you have to clear your stone in the forefoot barely. And you made it perfectly to go up 4-1 versus being tied. What was going through your mind when you looked at that shot as to what you're going to do? And did you really feel it was there? Yeah, I knew it was a tough shot. But, you know, Corey and I kind of talked about just throwing nice, like, back 12 weight. was Some sort of weight that Corey could kind of manipulate as it went down the sheet. Um, and honestly, halfway down, I thought it was not going to curl past the high guard and just barely got by and made the shot. And yeah, what a huge turning point in the game for sure. I rewatched it afterwards and didn't quite realize how tight the port was looking at the overhead. But yeah, I mean, just that nice soft weight, Corey was really able to manipulate it. And um, yeah. It had to be perfect. And it was. And uh, to me, that puts you up for one versus if you hadn't made it, you were tied. And, and that pretty much made the difference. Let me ask you another question about mixed doubles. And this is kind of interesting because of my role in originally developing this game and the fact that uh, you can switch. The female can throw one and five or the male can. You can switch that every end. 
Yet it seems to be all the teams have uh, more or less decided that the female will throw one and five and the male will throw two, three, and four. What's the philosophy behind that and why do you never consider switching it? I I actually have no idea. It's kind of funny that it usually tends to be the female that throws the first and last. I mean, I think people just kind of get in a rhythm and, you know, Corey and I for sure, like, um, just kind of have gotten in a rhythm of him throwing the middle three, me throwing the first and last and me holding the broom for Corey's middle three and being able to kind of see the line coming down. And that helps me to call the line on my shots. Um, so I don't know, we've just found that it's a rhythm that works really well for us. It is interesting that you can switch it up and we, we didn't really see, I don't think anybody do that at the world. Maybe I, I think Turkey might've done it once, but, um, yeah, I think you just kind of get in a rhythm and find what works best for your team. Interesting. So Corey D, question about you and Corey T getting together. So you both had long times mixed doubles partners. Uh, Corey was with John Schuster for many years, just barely missed the Olympics in 2018 uh, against uh, the Hamiltons. And you, Corey, played with Sarah Anderson for many years and had some success as well. So what made uh, things change for the two of you to come together? I think we were just all ready for a change, a little bit of a, a mix up after the Olympic cycle. I think the world of Corey as a, as a player, and uh, we're, we've always been good friends off ice. I moved to Duluth about 10 years ago, and even before that, I knew her. Um, and we've kind of always done things sort of like in sync, um, you know, winning junior nationals for our first time in 2012 and and then, you know, silver at junior worlds in 2016. It was sort of always together. And, you know, her being in Duluth, it was kind of a no brainer. I asked Corey to grab a drink one night uh literally a year and six days before the gold medal game, you know, asked her if she wanted to play mixed doubles. And thankfully she said yes. And, and maybe the, uh, the luckiest male mixed doubles athlete in the world. Another question about mixed doubles. So a couple of years ago, the power play idea was brought into it. Fairly popular. What's your point of the power play? You think it's a good idea? And uh, do you think it's an offensive move, primarily a defensive move, or it can be used at both for both, depending upon the situation? I think it's great uh, to have. I think it changes up the game a little bit in the middle and, you know, gives teams an opportunity to whether to use it offensively or defensively. I think we've tended to use it a bit more defensively, um, you know, having that for like the last end just to make sure, you know, you're, you're not getting into too much danger. But, you know, if you're down, it's nice to be able to change things up a little bit. Uh, I personally do find that we, we actually have a, a tendency to get our biggest ends using the standard center guard back four. But everyone sort of uses them a little bit differently, trying to manufacture points in the sixth end versus, you know, trying to use it to, to save it as a defensive move in the eighth. And I think Corey and I, before we started curling together, we, our team sort of had different, you know, theories with, with the power play because I know her and John like to use it in six. Sarah and I used to use it in eight, um, but more defensively. So it's it's kind of neat seeing the ways that, uh, you know, teams use them, especially at Worlds, and, and how they manufacture more points with them, too. So it's an interesting concept. It's nice to have, though. So a question that you both can answer, I'll ask uh, Corey D. first. So you're both at four-person teams that are probably the two best in the U.S. or very close to it, if not. So you got a couple of years ahead to the Olympics. Is it going to be emphasis four-person, emphasis mixed doubles, or both? both do you have any fear of that interfering in any way with one to the other or do you think it uh it can work pretty well interesting in canada of course you know they don't don't allow it so that's sort of what to get your thoughts 
Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that they allow it in the U.S. Um, you know, I see, I see a great opportunity in, in both. I don't think it'll interfere. But I think there's, a, there's an understanding that there's a good opportunity there, and, and why not take it if you have it? Corey T., what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, it's nice to be able to do both, and that's definitely the focus these next three years um, leading up to the Olympics. And, you know, this year we both kind of made our men's and women's schedules and just kind of planned doubles around that and fit it in whenever we could. And we actually only ended up playing two tournaments together before our nationals this year. And in an ideal world, we would love to play more doubles than that, but it's just it's not feasible with um, how busy our men's and women's schedule is. But Lucky for Corey and I, we both live in Duluth, so we're able to practice pet together a lot, which I think is a huge key for our team. So we we're looking at the schedule. We talked a little bit about it before we went on air here. And there's so much curling, especially at this time of year, between women's worlds, men's worlds, and then mixed doubles worlds. And then there's Grand Slams as well, all packed into one eight-week package. Is there any maybe an optimal time where mixed doubles could fit and maybe not at the exact same time, like nationals and international play, um, at the same time as, say, the nationals all over the world and internationals? Can they be maybe moved at a different time of year? Would that make it better for you guys? Or is it just, is it just busy anyway, so it doesn't even matter? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. I, it's so tough, you know. I don't know if it would be easier to move it to another time of the year. Just like you said, it's just busy. It's, it is what it is. And I think that's kind of the point where we're at. And I think you do get on a little bit of a roll. I mean, we were, we actually didn't have any ice in Duluth um, right when I got home from Sweden. Um, so it was perfect for us to actually be able to go to the players with our men's and women's teams and just get some ice time before we went to the mixed doubles. So that actually kind of worked out well for us. And we definitely appreciate our like three months that we do get off of curling. Um, so yeah, just to have to take that uh, <laughs> as much as we can. But yeah, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And I think we understand that and playing both doubles and women's, like we're just kind of used to it. So. Well, Corey, I'm thinking a little bit about the, uh, like your shoulders are sort of <laughs> a little tired. I saw Mike working on them all the time in Korea. I was thinking it might be best just to start mixed doubles like next week and and have the championship in September and have you guys play all summer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> uh, I am joking, but as far as mixed doubles, I think, I don't know what your thoughts are. I'd love to hear your thoughts about its growth right now worldwide and in clubs. Um, we have a lot of clubs in Edmonton playing, having mixed doubles leagues. Is that something that's big in the States? And do you see the growth that I'm seeing? I think there's a lot of athletes that are more and more intrigued by mixed doubles now. Um, and uh, you know what? Even in Duluth, um, you know, we did have a mixed doubles league that started. I don't think it continued through the pandemic. And so I don't think it's actually a thing anymore at Duluth. But I do know that there are other clubs in Minnesota and the U.S. that have mixed doubles league and, and people love it. Um, and I think they even just make it doubles. So if you wanted to play, you know, two guys or, or two girls, you know, you can, which I think is a great idea. But it's nice to see more and more interest. And I, and I really like to, to see kids, juniors, um, playing doubles too, because I think it's just such a great opportunity to, you know, get reps in, you know, um, really improve your game, just all facets of, of shot making um, and at, at a young age um, and uh, kind of really being able to just sort of display, you know, their hard work and, and uh, you know, the curlers that they're becoming. You know, it's nice to see a, a rise in the interest in mixed doubles. Hopefully we'll continue to see that too in the U.S. after this. Just have a couple more things. Um, is there a, a junior 
mixed doubles national championship in the U.S.? Not as of now. I don't believe so. Um, it'd be really, really neat if, if that was something that was introduced pretty soon here. I think it's absolutely crucial that we don't have one in Canada either. I know that some of the European countries do have it, and they're going to have an advantage over us in time when they're playing mixed doubles at a national level and we're not. So that's going to matter, I think, down the road. Last thing I want to talk about, when you win a championship in the building, I want like the end of the game, shake hands, you do the cheering, you get the pictures out on the ice and stuff. Then what? What happens behind the scenes when you're the champs? Um, like I said, I don't think it's totally set in yet, but you know, we just got back to the hotel and just had a celebratory beverage with, um, just our, our coaching staff and the two of us, which was really nice just to be able to chill a little bit, go back to our room. And, you know, we had the banquet and just had a lot of fun meeting some of the other athletes and hanging out with some of the senior teams. And like I said, we got home last night, went straight to a local bar in town here in Duluth and were able to celebrate with a bunch of people from our club and friends and family. And it's just so special to celebrate all of this with such an incredible community of people. So it's been a surreal couple of days. Is there drug testing? Like, do you have to do that? Is that a thing with mixed doubles or I don't know the answer. Other Corey got drug tested. Oh, well, let's go. <laughs> yeah. After uh, our game against Canada in the semifinal, they, they pulled me aside um, after the interviews and so forth and had me do the drug testing process. It was, it was funny that it was just me that they pulled aside and not Corey. Corey was on the phone instead with her parents, and, uh, and I was being pulled. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But you brought up drug testing, Kevin. So back in my day, that would have been something else I failed. <laughs> and the other one is I, I've got bad aim. I can hardly pee into a toilet, never mind into a cup. So it would have never worked for me at all. But I was, I was, congratulations, you guys. What a, what a victory. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I had a technical fallout there, uh, but, but I'm back. But, but way to go. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, you guys. Really appreciate you coming on. See you later. Thanks, guys. Okay, there they go. Uh, congratulations to the two Corys. I bet they've never heard that before. I guess I got to drop that. That's, you know, the two Corys. Uh, Warren, what do you think of that new champion from the USA? Well, I was in the USA working with the association down there for a couple of years as a advisor. And certainly I, I watched both these young people play going back to about 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, I can say they both have uh, outstanding abilities. I think we're going to hear a lot from them. They're going to be kind of the flag bearers for USA men's and women's curling, I think, in the years ahead. And uh, they're both excellent players. And uh, having watched them play a couple of games in uh, Korea, they're sound. And uh, I think it was a really good win. Good win for the USA. What do you say, Kev? Corey Dropkin uh, is in uh, playing the middle position, sweeping all the time. He's a very good sweeper. Um, he's a skip in, in four-person curling, but actually sweeps kind of like a Benoit Schwartz does um, out of Switzerland. So incredible athlete. But Corey TC, boy, she put on a show. She dominated kind of like Stefania Constantini at the Olympics at the first rock of every end. And then she finished incredibly strong. Um, 
So they, they dominated the, the field big time. So great on them, and I agree with Warren that that is going to be the uh, face of mixed doubles in the States and in the world for a while. And it'll be interesting to see when you get to the Olympic Games, uh, uh, Amos coming back with Stefania against these two. It's going to be a, a quite a battle, I think, at the top. They're going to be a force, so let's watch for them, and uh, congratulations to them again. Let's go to the mailbag. Brought to you by Nestle Boost, complete nutrition to fuel your day. Pat Pluvik, I think is the way you pronounce that. Pat writes, love your podcast. One thing I haven't heard you discuss is the effect of PVRs on our viewing habits and on sponsors. Those are recording devices. I can't believe that there are a lot of curling fans who watch three-hour games in real time. I love curling, but I never do that. I record the games. I watch them when I want to and, and fast forward through all the commercials. I also fast forward through parts of most of the games, the Lead Rocks, for example or when I see a blank coming. However, when I watch mixed doubles, I still record it, but watch the whole game. It's fast. Things change quickly. It's exciting and shorter. And I fast forward through the commercials. If I'm not alone in this practice, what will be the effect on our beloved sport? No sponsorship, perhaps? No curling? By the way, I love the Blue Jays too, but never watch a whole game. I watch Blue Jays in 30. Maybe we need curling in 30. There's a lot there. Thanks for your podcast. That's from Pat. Yes, uh, without question. I think she brings up some really good points. Uh, If we take a look at what other sports are doing, and I take a look at baseball, we talked about it before, that they're moving to actually two and a half hours. They're able to play some of their games now, so they're going in that direction. Even the Canadian Football League is claiming to be able to have it down to two hours and 45 minutes this year, uh, which is still probably a little long. But I think, again, across the board, we have to look at at shortening things up. I think... uh, the other interesting thing that she brings up is the issue of PVRing. And of course, PVRing has been going on for quite a while. And from a sponsorship point of view in commercials, um, I've often wondered what is the real numbers of how many people actually sit there when those commercials are, are, on, are on versus the PVR. From my way of thinking, as we move into the digital edge and streaming, there has to be a new concept developed. I think a, a commercial or a message has to be within the telecast. So maybe it's the flashing of the brand on the screen with a couple of made, words made by the commentator about the product. I think uh, word and brand identification is going to become very large in future, and I, I think there's going to be a change as we move into streaming. As already as you see in streaming, when they do run commercial contacts, it seems the magic number is about nine seconds, six seconds for your attention and three seconds for the message. So I think we're going to see all that change as we move more into streaming. But uh, for the moment, it does still remain somewhat confusing. I think her point about Blue Jays in 30 or curling in 30 is dead on the money. Uh, We've talked about this internally, and maybe it's something that inside curling can become part of going ahead of being able to offer summaries at the end of the day of, of the games that have taken place in the 30-minute time slot or even even 15. So good points by Pat, and I think as we go through a changing world, these things are going to start to move in a different direction. Warren, what, what's your main worry about it? You know, so if a game goes to 2 hours and 15 instead of 3, uh, I know you don't like it, and, and, and people, that's part of life. I mean, we have sponsors, right? We need to have them. We do, we, they should do it the way we do as live reads. Uh, I agree with that. But what are you concerned about the most, Warren, with, with this? I think everybody has to be concerned about producing a product as we move forward that's going to attract people that are younger, people under 40, in particular Gen Z. 
And although there's some indications it says the length of game is not a big issue, I think, again, it's what we do to attract them from an interest point of view. And we know back again it's got to be quick, fun, and engaging. And I think that's a challenge, and I, I think this is going to be one of the thing, things going forward. I still remember asking NBC the question probably five years ago. What's the time frame you're looking at moving forward? And they're saying two to two and a half hours max, uh, because the world is changing. Kevin, what do you say to all this? Yeah, well, thanks, Pat, for the email. Um, live sports is still really important, um, and not watching it later. Because if you're on your phone or if you're on, you know, on your social media, the game ends, everybody knows the result. Well, now I'm not going to watch the game. I know the Oilers won three to two. I don't. <laughs> there goes the, the the drama. So, live sports is still super important. That people want to watch it when it's happening. Was it last night when the Oilers won? Whenever they'd score, Jimmy, I was out in the yard watering the grass because it's so dry out here. And every time I go out, if I was out there when the Oilers scored, our whole cul-de-sac would erupt inside the homes. You could, yeah, you, could, exactly. you, could you, you could, hear everybody screaming and yelling, oh, man, I missed a goal. So then I got to race back into the house and see the replay. But, but that's still really important, I think, in society to watch live sports. Now, the 30-second commercial, I believe that needs to change. Yes, but... To, to PVR live sports, I can't do it. I, I have to watch sports when it happens. Otherwise, you're going to find out. You can't keep it quiet. Like, oh, please don't tell me. Don't tell me who won the game. I'm going to watch it. But these days on my phone, the information comes out too quick. I think one of the other problems too, Warren, is it's happening so quick, right? With with Like if I talk to one of my kids, I'm going, I don't have that channel. You know, they go, channel? What do you mean, channel dad? Here, threat, <laughs> right? Go watch it over here or watch it there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you look at the apps that are available, it's just endless. Without question. And this is going to be the whole time we're going to be changing here is going to be quite confusing, I think, because we're used to now with television, you've got a cable contract, and through that cable provider, you get uh, every channel that you want to put into your, your purchase. Um, I think as we head more into streaming, this is going to become a lot of it is individual purchasing, just like Recast is now with all this curling stuff. Right. So depending upon what you want to watch as a consumer, I don't know, You maybe you're going to have multiple uh, contracts with different providers because I don't know if this distribution system like the cable is now, or maybe it is going to spin over to that. This is, this is the stuff that's still not really known as to totally how the distribution. You start taking something like, let's say, Live Golf who are going to be trying to access 2.5 billion people around the world and probably involving, same as curling, about 70 countries. How's that all going to work out? We don't know yet. Okay, what's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction. You've got to be 19 years or older uh, to play, and in Ontario only. And please play responsibly. The World Mixed Doubles Championship uh, concluded in Korea. Uh, the USA team of Corey TC and Corey Dropkin took the gold medal, uh, as you've now heard. The Japanese team of Tanada Yayumosa. Kev, did I say that right? Yasumasa Tanida. Yasumasa Tanida. Tanida Yasumasa. Yeah, that's the way you say it. Okay, Tanida Yasumasa and uh, Matsumura Chiaki. That's pretty good. Yeah, I got it. They were there, there's your silver, and uh, Norway's Martin Roning and Matthias Brandon won the bronze. Unfortunately, for Canada, uh, they sure did well in the round robin. When we talked to them, I think they were 
five and one or something at the time we spoke to them. Uh, they end up placing fourth. Uh, Kev, you're there, of course, for the entire event. You're home now. Uh, what do you take away from the whole thing, Kev? Ooh, quite a lot, Jimmy. Actually, um, it was it was just excellent. I, I knew the facilities because it was it was where the Olympics were in 2018. The hockey rink that the seniors was played at was about I don't know 400 yards, 500 yards from where the mixed doubles was at. So you could go back and forth easily, watch them both. It was fantastic. Uh, the ice was great. We haven't talked a lot about the area, but it's absolutely gorgeous. It's uh, right on the ocean. It's known as the city of coffee. Kangyong is uh, known as the city of coffee. Oh. So million coffee shops. Um, you walk on along the beach. There's walk paths. And it just, uh, it's a really gorgeous part of the world. It's about a four-hour bus ride or four-hour drive from Seoul to the east. And it's right on the east coast. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know what? It was, it was a, it's a great spot for curling. The trick is to get there. It's a long ways from North America. It's a long ways from Europe. So it's not easy to, to get to. And when you get to Seoul, you're still quite a ways from the venue. But boy, what a treat to be there. It's a real uh, vacation spot. It was a long weekend. If you can imagine the, the, the final weekend, the Saturday, Sunday, the Monday was a holiday. The place was packed. The city was packed because everybody coming for the long no weekend. Kidding. Yeah. Oh, so it was absolutely fantastic. So I've gotten all but good memories. And uh, I'm just wondering if USA Curling are going to want, want every tournament being held there because that's where uh, John Schuster won his gold. <laughs> and that's where now the Corys won their gold. So right. USA is going to want every curling event known to, uh, to run in that building. <laughs> Might you see with the, you know, with Kevin's endorsement of this the whole place and the beauty of the city and and how good the facilities are do you wonder if they'll ever be like say a little tour warren like you know some of these grand slams where they say okay let's 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 put five six events together and and a bunch of teams can go over and play a little mini tour over there do you ever see that happening more let me put it this way jim uh we certainly are hopeful that something of that nature will happen in the next few years uh, more importantly, Warren, what do you take away from the curling in Korea? I think just like the men's and women's, the parity is, is so good. Those teams are all so close. And seeing some new countries uh, pop up there in the final six with uh, Estonia and Japan being right there in the heat of it all. So mixed doubles, I think, is going to be really exciting going forward. And it opens it up, I think, to a lot more countries to be competitive than, than men's and women's do. Uh, Corey Dropkin and Jennifer Dodds of Scotland were named as the All-Stars, which I think kind of slipped through there. Not too many people commented on. Two excellent choices. Two of the best uh, curlers in the world. And without question, Jennifer playing with uh, Bruce Mowat and, of course, Corey with the other Corey uh, Lisi. Both had outstanding performances. Mixed doubles, again, it's so entertaining, so quick. It's just got to get a larger presence in Canada than it has uh, to move things forward, as I see it. So... All good things. I think the WCF needs to look at making mixed doubles a standalone event rather than being part of that seniors uh, championship. I know why they've done it, but I think mixed doubles has moved to the point that it needs to get its own feet. Right on. Uh, we've been doing our picks with these events. I'm guessing none of us got it right, Warren. Well, one of us didn't do bad, actually. One of us didn't do bad, and it wasn't you, Jim. Okay. <laughs> but actually, you, didn't, you, you got uh, some paint on the board. Um, you got one. Okay. Because you picked Canada, Japan, and uh, Estonia. And, of course, Japan came second. Okay. So you get one point. Okay. Kevin, 
did quite well. He uh -oh. picked USA gold, Japan silver, and Scotland bronze. So he got two points. Good one, Kev. And uh, Warren got zero. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> Having picked Canada, Estonia, and Scotland in that order. <laughs> don't laugh, Jim. Good. You'll, you'll have your day. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, you could, yeah. I'd like to say I was fake laughing, but you can hear how genuine that was. Uh, nothing like beating Hanson. Nothing like beating Hanson. He's the most competitive guy in the world. Uh, anyway, congratulations to all the teams, uh, particularly to the team from uh, U.S. Uh, another event that was going on, uh, with the World Seniors Championships happened uh, at the same time. Kevin, you just mentioned it was in the arena right beside us. Uh, I know a couple of the girls on the winning team. Warren, give us the final results. Well, on the women's side, Sherry Anderson grabbed her third World Senior Women's title. So congratulations to Sherry and her team of third, Patty Hersekarn, second, Brenna Gertzen, and lead, Anita Silvernagel. So it was gold to Canada, silver to Scotland, and bronze to Japan. It was the 14th time for Canada to win a gold at the World Senior Women's. On the men's side, Canada's Howard Rajala defeated Graham Connell of Scotland 7-2 to capture his first ever world title and Canada's 13th title. Switzerland defeated USA in the bronze medal game by a score of 7-4. Playing with Rajala was third Rich Moffat, second Chris Fulton, and lead Paul Maiden. How old do you have to be to start to curl seniors? 50. Same as golf. Can Glenn Howard do both? Actually, Glenn Howard could probably do three right now. I think Glenn's 60, isn't he, Kevin? So he could play men's, seniors, and masters. <laughs> Super seniors. <laughs> he, could, if, he could go for three titles. Yeah, I don't know if that's the triple crown you want to win, but I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, way to go, Glenn. You're really old. <laughs> uh Anyway, uh, congratulations. I know, I know uh, Sherry uh, Anderson, and I've, I've met her over the years, and, and Patty Herkeser, and I've, I've mentioned her before. She's a friend. Congratulations to them. And knowing those two girls, I bet that's a lot of fun being on that team because they're, they're a riot at all the other curling events. And yes, Patty's the only one who would ever dance with me at the Briar Patch. Everyone else said no, Warren. Can you believe that? Well, I'm glad somebody did, Jim. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Way to go, Canada. Double gold. Yes, very good. Uh, let's move along. The final Grand Slam event of the season is happening this week in Regina, the Coyote Tractor Champions Cup. First of all, Kev, what is the Champions Cup? It's, you have to win. You have to win events to be invited into it. You have to win. That's a little different than rankings, right? It's actually champions. So okay. not all the top-ranked teams end up in it. Uh, one year... Uh, Brad Jacobs, when they were absolutely at the top of the world, they just didn't win events. They came in second or third, kind of like Cooey this year. Um, Cooey's not in the Champions Cup. They didn't win right. until the players, but the, the lineup was already set by then. So, yeah, you, uh, that's what it is. You have to win events to get in. It's a specialized event that way. Is it the same reason uh, Rana is not in it as well? That is absolutely correct. Okay, Kev, so give us the uh, field then. We know who can't make it. <laughs> Tell us who did. Um, let's just start with Nicodine, who won almost everything this year. So let's start with him because he takes half the events. So you got Nicodine, you got Brendan Botcher, you know, who won one of the slams. Uh, Matt Dunstone's won a lot. Guju, of course, uh, Retornaz, 
uh, Bruce Mowat. So, you know, a terrific, a terrific group on the, uh, on the men's side. On the women's side, you got Carrie Anderson, of course. Fujisawa won one of the slams mm-hmm. this year. Rachel Holman, Jennifer Jones, Taryn Zoni, of course, Caitlin Laws. So it's a really good field. And I understand the uh, ticket sales have been fantastic. It's in Regina, Saskatchewan, so you're right in the heartland of curling. And so really looking forward to it. Starts Tuesday, and uh, we start on television on Thursday. And really looking forward to it because uh, Regina always puts on a good show when it comes to curling. I used to do better at calculus than sometimes hearing the playoff formats. <laughs> Tell me this one's a little easier, Warren. First thing about this one, which I'll give kudos to the people who did it, it's all written down black and white quite quite clearly. So we do know exactly what's happened. Uh, let me first say that this is the last Champions Cup, which I think to some degree makes some sense because it really doesn't follow the pattern of the other five Grand Slams because... It is people who have had to win something in this last year are in this event. So Sportsnet's going a little different direction. They've made it clear, however, although this event's going to be dropped, the prize money for the overall slam series will not be decreased as a result. Anyway, the playoff format, both the men's and women's divisions are split into pools of six and will play a full round robin. The best six teams from both pools, that is the ones with the best record, will qualify for the playoffs, with the top two getting a berth into the semis. Similar system to what was used in a number of the world events this past season. After the round robin and the first round, the teams are reseeded, and that is number one seed for the playoffs will play the lowest seed that advances out of the semifinals. So it's a little bit of a crossover, similar to what the World Federation did. Tiebreakers may be used to decide final spots, which I think how that will go. Uh, if there is only two teams tied for the spot, then they will probably play. If there's three teams tied, uh, one will be ranked out and the other two will play, I think is the way they'll probably proceed with that. So fairly straightforward, and uh, that's how it's going to happen. Okay, I think I got Don't Don't ask me to repeat it. So I think we're going to make some picks, aren't we? We're going to pick six teams that we think are going to make the men's side and the women's side. And like we did a few weeks ago, we're each going to pick Two teams, starting with starting with the women and starting with you, Jim. Uh, clearly, uh, people are tuning in to hear my picks. I'm going with uh, Fujisawa and Terenzoni. Okay, you stuck your yeah, neck out there, Jim. Uh, I will go with <laughs> Holman and Einerson. Okay, write this down, Warren, because I'm going to win again. You know, I'm going with Gim. Yep. <laughs> I think we got to go with Laws. I really do. Yeah, that's probably a good pick. Okay, Jim, to the men, your pick. To the men, I got to do this again. Holy man. You know what? Kevin says he's tired. I don't think so. I'm going to go with Dropkin, and I can't believe I'm leaving him out again. <laughs> Dunstone. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Brad Goosh is never going to speak to me again. I've, I've picked him for nothing over the last six events. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what. So I will then go with Goo, the Goo. <laughs> I'll pick him. And the next, the second one is a, that's a tough one. I don't know just by how things have been going. I will say maybe Rotanus. Well, I've got to take Bruce Mowat. So there's Botcher left and Nicodine. How did we manage to do that? <laughs> yeah. I think we, we got some suspect picking, Jim. And they live in our town. <laughs> well, I know. Yeah, but, well, they're both going to qualify, I would think, both Botcher and Nicodine. Mm-hmm. So who's going to win it? I think Botcher's going to be pretty hungry. I, I've got to take Botcher. 
we've left nicotine off the sheet, you guys. <laughs> okay, I want to go back. He's just a champ. <laughs> no, that's enough of this misery, putting people through listening to us do picks. Uh, we're not done yet. Uh, Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. A fair amount of chatter again this past week on our social media about how quick mixed doubles is and how much people like that. In addition to reducing the game to eight ends, is there anything else to do uh, or that could be done with the four-person game to shorten the time? Uh, Not the first time we talked about this, but Kevin, why don't you go first on that? I love what they've done with baseball. I didn't think it would make as much difference as it has, the pitch count. So we definitely have to do something with timing in curling. Do we do it per end? I think we have to do it per end right now, not per game. But somewhere down the line, somewhere in the future, there may be a shot clock. You have a certain amount of time to shoot the shot. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. not, not a whole end. You have a shot clock, like a pitching clock, and it's, it's been really hard on some of the pitchers early in the season trying to get the, get the, the pitch off in time. Um, the curling shot might be like that. That'll be an, that would be an interesting change, wouldn't it, if you got a 30-second shot clock. You've got to get in the hack and throw within 30 seconds. Yeah, once the last rock comes to rest, stop, yeah, stone stops, start the clock. Great idea. I don't even know how much time you'd save rather than the thinking time of a whole game. Like, I think the first move is per end, a time per end. But I see evolution saying, you know what, that's a great start, but I think it'll be a shot clock in, in X amount of years. I think, I think we have two areas to consider here. One is the top competition level and the spectator side, but the other one is the club game. And I've received a few emails of people complaining about how long it's taking some people to play a club game and it doesn't get completed in a length of time. And I think the shot clock idea, uh, the chess clock, is maybe a good idea that could be incorporated into a curling club where it's at the end of the sheet and uh, you just hit it when you've completed your time and it goes over to the other guy. Uh, Because I think in the clubs, it's also a problem in some cases that people take too long to decide. I think at the top level... Um, and I looked at mixed doubles, then I look at the four-person. Boy, they're making some difficult decisions in mixed doubles really quick. Yet if we go and watch those four-person games, some of those discussions go on and on and on. And it's not good from a viewing point of view to have these long, drawn-out discussions and these timeouts. So I think things that need to be considered are possibly to eliminate the timeouts completely, add a minute, or if it's Canadian, two minutes to the total time for the game, and allow the coaches to confer with the team anytime they want to. Your clock is running. Do whatever you like. I agree with Kevin as well. We probably need to go to a time per end. And I think we have to eliminate a lot of this discussion time that's currently taking place. If they can make those decisions that quick and mix doubles, uh, why can't they in four-person curling where they've got more time? But I think it's all doable. And I know there's people that wouldn't like it initially, but I think they would get used to it. Right. You mean a time per shot, not per end. So it's not up, it's up to individuals to deliver their shot. 
It can be done either way. I think a time per end can, can also be uh, the way of controlling that as well. But I think, again, it needs to have some discussion, some experimenting, and I think it needs to be looked at because, again, things are dragging out too much, in my opinion. When I look at mixed doubles and how fast it moves compared to the four-person, four I think that's where we need to be heading. How do you figure a time per end? How do you do, who do you blame? Which team do you blame if you don't get an end done in under 12 minutes? Well, each team has so many uh, minutes to play the end, and it's it's in their con- it's in their control. I disagree on one thing. Where I I don't I like the discussions. I got to be honest. Some of it becomes a little Greek to me when they do it, but but I I kind of like it once in a while. Uh, here's the other question, Warren. I was watching curling in 1969 on television with my dad, so that's 50 plus years ago, and they were saying, you know what, the game's too long. Were you were you watching from your crib, Jim? Or <laughs> so, well, I was, but but I just remember every you know they've been saying this, Warren, for fifty thousand years that the game's too long, and it's still the same. It, well, it's been slowly but surely uh, tightened up. But I mean, you can think back to the seventies when there were twelve end games and there was no time restraints. And I mean, this all came to a head in the seventy six Briar when the De Blonde brothers took over five hours to play a twelve end game. And that was the point in time when everybody said, Jesus. we got to do something about this. So the next year they went to 10 ends. But time clocks were uh, innovation of the late 80s, man. So it, right. it, it, it's been a problem forever. But it was never an issue because it wasn't the same spectator and television issue that we're dealing with today. Right. Again, we've got the, the Gen Zs who, as I've I said again, things have to move quicker. They have to be fun and they have to be engaging. And uh, that's what we have to strive for. Who makes the decision, Kevin, if they were going to, in the format game, go to eight ends or shot clocks or everything else? When it comes to World Curling Federation events, World Championships, it's World Curling Federation's board and and member associations. They they make that decision. There's it's inevitable that it's going to go to eight ends, but there's you know it's it's just uh, something that just has to evolve. There's no question it'll be eight ends, and then it'll go to it'll still be eight. uh, Each team will have a certain amount of time per game and then down the road it'll switch to time per end and i'm just saying down the road further it's going to be a shot clock i think it that's inevitably you need this time to be done within two and a half hours even two hours the shorter the better and that's going to be the the winning formula for all sport not just curling so yeah it's it's a problem for all sports it's rugby sevens versus a full rugby team of 15 players it's a beach volleyball versus a full volleyball team it's just again uh quicker and uh more exciting more fun and i think that's what uh all sports are going to have to strive for in the next few years speaking of too long i've managed to uh ask too many questions during the show <laughs> i mean yeah what are you hearing is brought to you by hearing life If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at its center. Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test. No referral needed. Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. Uh, What are we hearing? We learned this past week about the passing of Terry Logren of Saskatoon. Uh, Warren, of course, you would know all about this. We talk about super volunteers that Curling has. They're unmatched. Uh, And certainly Terry was one of those, as we understand. Yeah, this is something we should talk more about, I believe, at times, is the whole volunteer aspect of curling and how that probably isn't like it once was. But I knew Terry personally, and this was a guy who dedicated a lot of life of his life to events that were taking place in Saskatoon. And uh, he chaired the 1989 Briar in Saskatoon, which was a 
a very significant event in the in the development of the briar. It was the first kind of big time briar. It was called Magic and Ice, and it was kind of the turning point for the event making in a big building. It attracted an attendance of 150,000, which was the biggest of the day. And it was the first time that the briar had generated a major profit, which again created some other interesting challenges, which it was about $750,000 profit. It was also on the ice at this event where things begin to change. Pat Ryan won that briar by getting up one point with the hammer and then simply running everything. And it was the start of the 2-1-3-2 games. And uh, the chant from the crowd I still remember was, Boring, boring, boring. <laughs> and it marked the start of the discussion, which was the introduction of the three rock rule. So Terry uh, was a major uh, supporter of curling in Saskatoon and other events that went in there. So sorry to hear of his passing. Another interesting thing to note, Terry was married to Sandra Mulrooney. And uh, you may remember Kevin knew Sandra Mulrooney. She played with Sherry Anderson uh, for a number of years in uh, the early 2000s. And uh, one of the big games they had when Kevin won his right to go to the uh, Olympics in 2002 against Kerry Burtnick in Regina, uh, Cherry Anderson played against uh, Kelly Law in, in that same game. Kelly Law won, but Sandra was playing with uh, with Sherry Anderson in that game. And so she was married to Terry, and she unfortunately passed away in 2009 at the age of 45. So two people that were great in the curling world and now unfortunately are both gone. And Terry was one of the many great volunteers that we have in the sport of curling across Canada. Yeah, great idea, Warren, and thanks for doing that. If you've never been to a curling event, next time you go, just just check out how many volunteers there are, okay, walking around the arena and stuff. It, it's really good. And it's a challenge because uh, in talking to the people that are running events these days, they're having trouble uh, getting the number of volunteers they need for a lot of these events because... Mm-hmm. They're getting older, and the younger ones aren't stepping up. So it's something, again, the sport has to also be concerned with is making sure they are able to maintain the volunteer base that's required. Kevin, is is that an experience that you're running into as well as just not as many volunteers as it once was? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so events run a different way. We actually have You have to run events not with a huge volunteer base now. It's it's just kind of different. Uh, like everything else, sport, sport evolves, and that part of sport is evolving as well. Yeah, the interest in that briar in 1989 in Saskatoon, I can remember there was something like 1,500 people uh, applied to be volunteers for that event, and I think they had to cut it down to 1,200 because there just wasn't anything for 1,500 people to do. And uh, I think the next briar we did in Saskatoon, we had the same challenge with. So that isn't what they're facing today. And I, mean, I know they're running these big events now with probably about 300 people, whereas back in those days, wow. it was at least 1,000. Back in those days, I think you got a lot of people like to volunteer to get the free shirt or the jacket. Yeah. And then, Warren, you you <laughs> took it away, wasn't it? Was that you, Grinch? They didn't get a free shirt anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Blame me for everything, Jim. You may as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Hanson Cuts. Yeah, that's what we called them, Hanson Cuts. Uh, Okay, boys, that's a wrap. Uh, another show, another great guest. Kevin, way to go uh, for lining up. The, we still call them the two Corys. You know the reason I do that? That's kind of my go-to, Warren, in case I'm afraid of a mispronunciation of their last name. Uh, it's it's TC, right? Corey TC? Corey TC, yep. Don't embarrass me. Please don't embarrass yourself, Jim. Yep. That's why you heard me when I said all those events were on just in Korea. I didn't give the name of the town. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'm going to lose my job as a host. We want to thank 
uh, everybody uh, who's involved in the show, particularly Rod Paulson, his company, In-House Strategies, for all the great work on our Facebook page and our Facebook group. T- check it out. There's lots going on there. Warren is very active on it. Uh, if you don't belong, uh, join. Uh, we might read your email. We've got a mailbag segment every week. And uh, you can drop us a line, insidecurling at gmail.com. That's insidecurling at gmail.com. Is someone ever going to email us, Warren, and ask me something? You don't need to answer that. Uh, also, our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote, Boost, Hearing Life, and Goldline, who make all of this possible. We really appreciate them. Uh, you can watch all the action. Kevin, you're in uh, Saskatchewan in Regina to take in this weekend's uh, curling, the last of the Grand Slam events. And uh, you'll be there. SportsCenter will be covering it all day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then, of course, playoffs over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, thanks a lot, everyone, for tuning in. Kevin, uh, I don't know. Go, go. You must be like a bat. Just go hang yourself from the rafters upside down your feet and get some sleep, okay? You'll be okay. Thanks, Warren. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on Inside Curling. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim.